Thank you, Daryl, for that message through song. We are going to continue in our study of the book of Titus, and we are beginning a new chapter today, and we're going to be reading Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 1 and reading through to verse 8. And if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. The Word of God says this, it says, But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and in perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the younger women to love their husbands and to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourselves to be an example of good deeds with purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Please be seated. This weekend is Memorial Day weekend, and we celebrate this weekend because we want to honor those soldiers who have paid the ultimate sacrifice for our nation. Many of us have different traditions that go with Memorial Day, and, and for some of us, the, the holiday has become more than just honoring fallen soldiers, but also honoring all of those who are our loved ones, our family, who have gone on to be with the Lord. It is a tradition in my family to go through and, and go to cemeteries in the area where my family lives and grows up and to decorate the, the graves and, and the headstones of our family members. And, and with those often come stories. As we look at grandfathers and great-grandfathers and great-great-grandfathers and who they were and what they were like, my children don't know who their, some of their great They hear the story of grandfather and they begin to get a picture of what those people were like. Often, as we go through life and we remember who our great-grandfathers, our great-grandmothers are, or their, our grandparents, or our parents, and then we move down to our children and our children's children and our children's children's children, we start to notice that sometimes a child of ours or a grandchild of ours has characteristics of a grandfather that they never met. But sometimes that those things seem to be passed through the generations as one encourages the other and in the other and the other. Sometimes those are good qualities. Work ethic, sense of humor. Sometimes they're not so good qualities. Temper. Or knowing how to say the wrong thing at the right time. But it is always amazing to me how one generation seems to influence the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. See, what we do for each other matters. 
And I would wager that everyone in this room probably has someone in their life, either living today or gone on to be with the Lord, that has had a huge impact on who they are as a person today. And I would hope that almost all of us, or at the very least, many of us are here today knowing of at least one person in their life that was key and instrumental in their spiritual formation and discipleship. See, often we need people to not only teach us what the Bible says, but we need people to show us what the Bible says. Throughout the years, I have done uh, my fair share of pre-marriage counseling. And a lot of times as you sit down with a young couple who is thinking about getting married and you talk about getting married, we, we begin to tell stories about what life is like in marriage. And oftentimes kids and, and, that are getting married, and I say kids because they're just younger than me, not, they're not really kids, um, and you have those conversations and they basically come into the, the pre-marriage counseling, come into marriage with basically one idea of what marriage should be like. Without fail, it is the marriage of their parents. Sometimes the marriage of their grandparents. Now, that's not always a good thing. And so as we talk about what the Bible says about marriage, we have to give them examples and give them examples from my life and other people's lives. And, and I, I watched a, I bring all this to say is one time as I was doing all of this and doing pre-marriage counseling, I came upon a video that was on YouTube where there, a challenge had been issued to a man and a woman. And in the video, these two people who worked together were challenged to act like they were married for a week to see what they thought of married life. Both of them were single. Both of them were in no relationship whatsoever. They did not particularly like each other. They were just two people selected at random from this company in order to, to see what marriage was like. They were required to cohabitate, spend time together, plan and accomplish tasks together as a married couple. And then ultimately their goal was to try to stay together for just one week. As they began the challenge, it didn't take very long for them to grow tired of each other. They started to get on each other's nerves. They realized very, very quickly that their routines were very different. One liked to sleep in to the very last second while the other one was up with the birds and, and, and making breakfast and making a lot of noise around the, the house. They had different ways of doing everything and they found each other in each other's way all the time, whether it was cooking meals or getting ready for work or getting ready for bed or whatever it might be. Their general tastes were different. Their preferences were different. The things they liked to do were different. The amount of noise that they would tolerate was different. And it only took till the third day for them to get to the point where they were ready to quit the challenge. As they interviewed each other back and forth, they had absolutely nothing nice to say about the other person. And then something happened. On the, la on the, the third night, the challenge that they had for that day was they had to go and, and have dinner with a, another couple that were actually married and happily married for that matter. 
And so they had to go together and, and go to dinner and, and the, the wife, the, the real wife spent time with this pretend wife and the real husband spent time with the pretend husband and they began to see how a married couple actually ought to act. As they laughed with each other and joked with each other and, and, and learned how to, to work together and not be in each other's way. And, and even most importantly, they learned how to serve one another and take care of one another and put the other person's pre uh, preferences and, and things in mind as they went through the day. By the end of the evening, the couple who was doing the challenge began to have a very different view of marriage. Literally, as they left that dinner party and as they were being interviewed for the video, they said, you know, I'm starting to get it. I noticed the husband, the, the, the real husband was telling me how he does this and this and this for his wife. And the wife was talking about how she kind of interacts with the husband. And they said, I'm starting to get it. As the week progressed, they began to get along much better. They even started to enjoy some of their time together. And as they parted ways at the end of the week, in their final interview, they both acknowledged that they began to understand why people get married and what good can come out of it. They were both open to marriage if they had met the right person. See, the couple hated what they were doing and I believe in part this was because they had no idea what it meant to be in a healthy, loving relationship. And they could not really just be told what that was going to look like. You could give them a list of, of what you do if you're a good husband and what you do if you're a good wife and maybe some stereotypes with that. They could have given them a calendar and plans and all the things that maybe a healthy married couple have. And yet they still would not get it. They had to see it in order to really get it. And I think the Christian life is that way. I think when we talk about our faith and we talk about what it means to follow Jesus, we have to remember that it really does take both. See, God has given us his word and through his word, we can know him and we can know how to worship him and obey him and glorify him. But he has also given us his church. And God has brought us together to learn from one another and to watch out for each other and to watch each other's examples and to actually see how the word of God might be lived out in a fallen world. God has given you his word, but he has given you each other. Paul addresses these relationships in our passage today, and he talks about the examples that should be set and the examples that should be followed. Now, as I was reading this passage and I began to look at what kind of characteristics were, were given to the older men and the older women and the younger men and the younger women and, and, and what he was telling them to do and what the result was, I began to notice some similarities among some of the groups. And I want to kind of point those out to you this morning. Paul begins by kind of addressing the older people. Now, I have too much fear in my heart to begin to specify what qualifies as old in this church. So just know if I say older people and you start to get a little offended by that word, I'm probably talking to you. So you can get me afterwards, but just know I love you in the Lord. And the list of instructions for both the older men and the older women actually have a lot of similarities. 
And really, I want to boil it down to even one statement. So if you are, are writing stuff down, if you are taking notes, you want to, I want you to kind of put in your first point that to the older of the church, he says this, disciple. If you want to use a different word that's not quite as, ch- as churchy, teach. When Paul is speaking to the older, more mature, spiritually mature people of the congregation, he says, listen, to you who are older, older men, older women, older followers of the Lord, and, and those who have, are more matured in your, in your pursuit of Christ, teach, disciple, make it about other people. There are three areas that he calls them to disciple. First thing he calls the older people to do is to be sober. To the men, he uses the term temperate. To the women, he says to not be enslaved to much wine. It is interesting to see that, that this was something that Paul felt needed to be addressed specifically to the Cretan church. Possibly, this was a standard practice there. That those who, who got older began to indulge more and more in alcohol. And most of the older people just were known to be heavy drinkers. This could have been a form of self-medication, that they were beginning to have aches and pains. I'm sure some of you who may or may not qualify yourself as older can relate. I know that 39 hit me like a ton of bricks. And I know some of you say, so young. But there may have been a reality that those who were older began to self-medicate and handle things like aches and pains and other such things by taking in alcohol. Could have also been just the simple fact that they were um, no longer working. Uh, Crete was an island. Maybe it was a a lot of people that that worked in the sea. And as they got older, they were no longer able to do the things they did before. And so they began to pass the time with the consumption of alcohol. And the reason why Paul is telling them you need to be sober, you need to be temperate, you need to not be addicted to much wine was because it clouded their judgment and robbed them of the wisdom that they could pass on to the church. When we fill our brains with things that do not help us disciple the next generation, when we give ourselves over to things like alcohol and other such things that cloud us and do not allow us to take care of the next generation, we lose the very reason and the purpose that God has kept us on this earth so long. Again, we do not see in our passage a prohibition of alcohol, but rather of drunkenness. That there was a need for sobriety in order for the church to gain in wisdom. Proverbs 20 verse 1 says this, Wine is a mocker and strong drink is a brawler and whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. To the older, the younger cry out, Share your wisdom. And you will not be able to do that if you hand yourself over to such things as alcohol and that which would keep you from being able to impart your wisdom. The second thing he he, uh, instructs the older two is he, he calls them to be dignified. Now, dignified is a fun word. It's especially a fun word because there's a whole bunch of different words that, that that the Bible translations use for all this same word. The idea behind this, in the men it says dignified, for women it says reverent. These are different words that essentially mean the same thing. 
that the, the men and women, that those who, who have, have reached this place in life where they would be considered the older men and women were to be, to, to be um, conscious that their voice should carry weight and that they should act and behave in a manner so that it does. That they should be people worthy of this. Both words give the idea that they are worthy of respect. We all say it, but we know, and we know it's true, that respect is often not given, but rather it is earned. You have not earned reverence nor dignity just because you have lasted longer on this planet. But rather, your life, your speech, your deeds should be such that you are worthy of respect and therefore your words carry weight. To be worthy of respect is something that should affect every area, area of your life. You should care, be dignified. You should be reverent in your marriage, your work, your family, your private life. People should see the honor in your behavior, whether you are on the golf course or in the office, whether you are in the church building or in your living room. Because let me tell you, when you think you can just be dignified and reverent in one area of your life while being a fool in another area, you can rest assured your sin will find you out. And somebody somewhere will know who you really are. But rather we are called to be an example of dignity, honor, and character everywhere. And often it begins by doing what you are uh, doing, what you say you are going to do. Matthew five thirty seven says this, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, beyond anything else, beyond these things are evil. One of the best things that you can do to begin to be a man of character, to be a person where your words have weight is to do what you say you're going to do and then actually do it. The world has too many people who will tell you what you want to hear and then do what they want to do. But rather, the, men of, the man of God and the woman of God should do what they say. Because let me tell you one thing. No one is going to apply weight and respect to your words unless you do it to yourself first. Lastly, to the older, he calls them to actually teach. To the men, he says to be sound in faith. And to the women, he says teaching what is good. If you lump yourself into the category of the older who are called to disciple, every single one of you should be investing in the next generation in some way, shape, or form. Every one of you. Period. And we're talking about more than just church. It is about passing on your wisdom, hope, and faith to those who need it. If you are in this church today, and you might lump yourself into this category of older, who are you investing in? 
What do you, you know, you think about it. We've got wonderful, wonderful people in our church. We have wonderful, wonderful men and women that may go into this category of older and I'd be scared to death to point at any one of you for fear of, you know, getting hit by something as I walked, as I walked out the door today. But all of you do, I can say this across the board, all of you play a significant role in this church. You may not think you do, but you do. And that there are people that are happy to see you when you get here. There are things that you do that if you stop doing it, it is noticed and it is felt. And we are at a, and we have a loss because of it. Who are you training to do that when you're gone? Who are you actively pursuing so that when the day comes that you cannot do what you are currently doing in this church? And I want to reiterate, which is important, that you know for a fact that this person will pick it up. Do you have an answer? I remember we had a, a man in the church, and I'm not going to name him, but we had a, a man in our church who, who served faithfully week in and week out in the same role. And as he was progressing on and as our church grew and, and grew old, honestly grew older over the last 10 years, he began to, to see the writing on the wall that what he was doing, he couldn't keep on doing indefinitely. And he immediately started pouring in to young men who could take on those roles and do more and do more. And to the point that first he did it almost all the time, and then every once in a while he'd have someone back there with him. And then after a while, he was up there a little more than half the time, and then he had other people there, and he kind of watched them. And the next thing you knew was about 50-50. And then there came a day where he just looked at these young men that he had trained and taught and discipled, and he said, you've got it. I'll be over here if you need me. And because he knew that, that, in, that, that even though he, he could still do it and he was still capable of doing it, he knew he wasn't going to be able to do it forever. And so he invested in people that could take up that task when he was gone. He's still with us. Are you doing that? Are you training your replacement? Are you investing in the person that is going to take over for you? Well, let me ask you this. What about just people that you meet? What if it's the stuff in the areas of life that have nothing to do with a church building or a worship service? Men, be husbands, fathers, providers. There are young men who don't know how to do these things. Believe it or not, there are young men who not only don't know how to be a husband or a father or a provider at home, they've never seen it done in their entire life. They were raised by women. They only saw what women did. And the only men in their life were transient, coming in and out of their world and, and, and exhibited no responsibility for who they were. Men, we've got to step up and we need to train young men to be men. Women, training them to be wives and mothers, nurturers and carers, workers as well. We have so many young women who have no idea what it means to be a wife. And I'm going to tell you right now, I can't tell them. My wife would affirm that. I have no clue. But they don't either. And they're living in a world that is telling them that they're little Disney princesses and, and queens and all this other stuff. And they have no idea what it means to be a wife. 
And they're not going to figure it out unless someone shows them. Shows them what it means to love and to love sacrificially. To show that, that a responsibility like being a mother and a, and a wife is a wonderful, godly, noble task. And it is something that you can do while being in the workforce. See, we can show them by our example, but we do need to teach them. And we do need to actively pour into them so that they know who we are and what we do and how we glorify God through it. In ancient Israel, when they were preparing for the promised land, they knew the importance of generational teaching. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, we read this. He says, You shall therefore impress these words of mine on your heart and your soul, and you shall teach them to your sons, talking to them when you sit, on the house, when you sit in your house, and when you walk on the road, when you lie down, and when you rise up. So the idea here is that we teach with all we do, and we don't just show them what we need to do, but we actually tell them also. And we do it with all that we are. The younger generation needs you. You may not feel that way, and I understand that. The younger generation with the technology and the busyness, and, and I know what it's like to have younger people around you that think they know everything and that you're the stupidest human being on the planet. I'm a parent. I get it. And I know that it's tempting if you are one of these older people to think that the younger generation doesn't need you, and the opposite is true. They need you a great deal. They need you as parents. They need you as men and women of the church that love them and notice them and want to invest in them. They care that you're here. And they are crying out for you to pour into them, whether they know it or not. I saw a study not that long ago. I believe it was put on by Lifeway that said it began to ask people that, you know, whether they were involved in church in some way, shape or form as a young person, think middle school, high school age, maybe even into college, and then would, would check later and ask them if they were still involved with uh, church life as they grew older, as they went into their 20s and 30s. And they began to notice the trends of who fell out and who stayed with it. And they began to notice one important thing. And they said that overwhelmingly, if a young person had someone older than them who invested in them when they were young, they were more likely to still be involved in church in the future. Not youth guys. Not their peers. Older members of the church who knew them and cared about them and invested in them when they were young. That's what kept them in church. Your move. But what about the younger? The advice given to the younger and to the, to the young men and, and the young women also seem to share a lot of similarities. However, in contrast to the older, I would say that Paul is communicating to the younger, be discipled. Or to put it in one word, learn. We see that primarily in the uh, transition from younger to older, or we see this primarily in the transition from younger to older in verse 4. 
It says the older women, it calls them to do things. It says, so they may encourage the young women. Verse 6 also communicates the same thing when it says, likewise, urge the young men. So what is it that these young men should be learning? These young men, these young women, these young people, what should they be learning? First, do what is good. I'm sure that many of the young ladies in the room and maybe some of the older ladies as, as well notice what Paul's words are for them. And they probably didn't really like it. To love husband and children, to submit to husbands, to work in the home. Those are things that in our, in our culture today tend to make us bristle even if we don't like it. This is not saying anything about your place in the world. No one is relegating you to the kitchen or to the home, but rather it is acknowledging that these things are good and honorable things in the eyes of God. Young ladies, as we look at this passage and it calls us to be um, to love husbands and children, to be sensible, pure workers at home, being kind, subject to your husbands. That is the reality that these things honor God. And it doesn't mean you can't have a career and it doesn't mean you can't be successful and it doesn't mean you can't communicate to your husband and share your opinions and do all of those things. But it does mean that these are things that bring glory and honor to God and that it is honorable to love your husband and to want to be his helpmate and come alongside him and support him, especially if he's a worthy husband. It also means it is good and honorable for a mother to love her children. That seems silly, but it's true. That it is honorable to make sure that, that, that you are helping, encouraging, discipling, ministering, providing for the next generation. These are honorable and good things and should not be poo-pooed for the sake of modernity or feminism. But rather, these are good and honorable things that should be encouraged by all. Young men are called to be an example of good deeds. To do what is right and good in the eyes of all men. Both are called to put their faith in Christ into action through obedience to Christ's word. 1 John 5, 3 says this, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. You are called, young people, to be doers of the Word. And that does look different for men and women. But it is the same for men and women. And so as these older seek to disciple you and show you what, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, you are to actually put those things into practice. To do what is right and good and honorable. Next, he calls you to be pure. And this goes, on the, this goes beyond the purity that we often talk about in youth group and college groups about saving yourself for marriage and having um, healthy, godly relationships as you date and go through life, though these are certainly important. But this is a deeper meaning to say to be incorruptible, set apart for God. This makes a lot of sense for us today as we watch a world who actively produce or actively pursues the young people with such abandon. 
The world is constantly calling you to frivolousness, to sow your wild oats. They've often tell you that it's okay to be foolish now so that you can be wise later. But the Bible tells you that is a lie. You are called to purity today. It is a small uh, uh, hobby of mine to scroll through Facebook and to notice how often Christian people post unchristian ideas and thoughts onto their, their social media pages in some sort of graphic or something like that, whether it is about being unforgiving and unhospitable or to be promoting foolishness. And one of them that I particularly despise is one that says, most of us got to be old and wise by being young and dumb. You know what I've noticed? And you may not like this. Uh, you know what I've noticed? Most young and dumb people turn into old and dumb people. You just think you're smart. But if you look around your circle, and I'm not speaking to anyone specifically here, but what I've noticed is young and dumb people become old and dumb people. It just so happens that they hang out with older and dumber people. You're not impressing anybody. You're not learning anything. I've heard countless young people throughout the years make a statement that says, I just need to learn these things from myself. First off, that doesn't come from God. And that God has put people in your life from whom you can learn things so that you don't have to learn them from yourselves. Show of hands of older people in the room. And yes, I'm outing you if you consider yourself an older person. And I apologize for that. But is there something that you had to learn the hard way that you would love for the next generation to be spared from? Raise your hand. Take a note. There's a lot of things you could avoid in life. A lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of sorrow. If you would stop and learn. And don't give yourself over to foolishness and impurity and sin because you think it makes you wise. But rather, listen to those who have been where you are and have learned both the hard way and the right way so that you might glorify God and escape some of that pain. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, that no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with temptation will provide a way of escape so that you may endure it. To the younger, God has provided a way of escape so that you do not have to go through the pain and the sorrow and the consequences of some sin. To the older, you may just be that way of escape. And so listen and be ready to impart your wisdom. Lastly, we want you to be concerned about your witness. We are all called to be disciples, but we are all called to make disciples who also make disciples. And that means being concerned about how our actions and our behaviors affect our witness and affect the way people see God around us. To the women, he says, do these things so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Men, he says, that you may do what is good so that no one has anything bad to say about us. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. 
learn from those who have gone before you that you may glorify God in every area of your life. There are people here and people in your life, young people, who can and, sh- can and will show you how to honor God with your whole life. Listen to them. Do what they do. And you will be amazed at what God can and will do in your life. And I'll let you in on a little secret from a guy who made a lot of bad choices. You're not missing anything. Those wild oats that people tell you to sow, that foolishness that they encourage you to do, that, that oh, go, be young, you're not missing anything. I spent three years of my life acting a fool. And when I look back on those days, I don't look back on those days with pride and, and, and humor and, and jokes or anything like that. I look at three years of my life that I could have been a powerful influence on the kingdom of God at the University of Missouri, and it is gone. You're not missing anything. And the greater choice and the greater adventure is to pursue Christ. And there are people in this room, not me, but people in this room who can show you how to do that. As we close out our time, I want to point out one last thing that he says to both. One command, one quality, one thing that both younger and older to do should do. One that does not matter whether you are nine or ninety nine. And is this exercise self-control. Regardless of your age, regardless of your gender, regardless of the place you are in your life, regardless of how you, whether you are doing well or doing foolishly, over and over again, to the older, to the younger, to the men, to the women, he says this, exercise self-control. Do not hand yourself over to lusts and the passions of your heart. Do not allow your emotions to run wild, nor to allow someone else to, to can be controlling over you and manipulate you and influence you, but rather exercise self-control. As we look to the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, it says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Self-control reveals the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. And it should be present in all of us, regardless of our age or our place in life, if indeed we belong to Christ. It's Memorial Day weekend. And you've probably spent some time this weekend remembering those who have gone before us. Whether in your family or in this church. Or both. What example did they leave you with? How did they help you pursue Christ into the next generation? How will you do the same for the generations coming up? And those of you that are the generations coming up, will you listen? For both of you, it starts with a relationship with Christ. 
It starts by living out the faith that we have been called to. Because see, what I don't want you to think when all this is said and done is that the Christian life is about older people teaching younger people to be good. Because that's not what we're about. Christianity is not a bunch of people who get together on Sunday morning and encourage each other to be good, be nice. But what we are is a people who have come together for the sole purpose of pursuing Christ. And the younger and the older come together to pursue Christ together. And for some of us today, that may very well mean that we take that first step in pursuing Christ by giving our life to Jesus. You may say, why do we pursue Christ? And I'll give you the answer, because Christ was God in the flesh who lived a perfect life, not so that he could show us it could be done, but so that he could die on the cross for our sins. And that he defeated death and rose from the grave three days later so that we could have new life in him. That if we would confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we would be saved. And through salvation, we'll begin to be able to recover and pursue God's design for our life. And that's what you see us talking about today. How we, as the body, people who have been saved by grace through faith, have begun to recover and pursue God's design for our life. If you would like to begin that, if you would like to start on the journey that all of us are on here in this room, that we invite you to come to know, believe in Jesus Christ today. Let us pray. Our gracious God and King, we thank you for your word. And God, we know your word is true. Lord, I praise you for opportunities to just talk about what it means to be the church like we do in our passage today. God, it is my hope and my prayer that each and every one of us would take to heart what this passage is telling us. God, for those of us that are in this room today who do not know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, who have no idea what it means to pursue Christ and really cannot pursue Christ because we don't know Him. God, I pray that today would be the day that we take that first step, that we, we move forward just a little bit by giving our heart and our lives to Jesus. Like today, may today be the day that we draw a line in the stand and say, no longer will I pursue my own wants and my own desires. No longer will I pursue the things of this world. But today is the day that I start to pursue Christ. And God, I pray that they would give their lives to you and that you would save them through your amazing grace. God, to the younger. Lord, I pray that today is the day that they would humble themselves and open up their ears. May they, not, may they listen to what our, our wiser church members have and their parents and their grandparents and begin to hear the good news and, uh, of the gospel through their life lived. And will begin to pursue you with a new fire and with a new level of wisdom that only comes from being the church. God to the older. Lord, I pray that you would put a burden on their heart to see the next generation rise up. To learn and to grow in ways that maybe they never did. To seek to be obedient to you in, in new ways and to new heights. So that the church might be transformed by both generations coming together. To grow in their walk with Jesus together. 
Lord, I truly and wholly believe that only you can do this. And that only your spirit can give us a heart to do these things. And so, God, I pray that your spirit would fall mighty on us today to believe, to hear, and to teach so that your name will be glorified. God, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.